You're listening to Legion, the podcast about the devil and all his works. From obsessions to possessions, from hexes to hauntings, if it's demonic, I'm on it. I'm Susan Vigilante. Welcome to the podcast. Do you remember Alistair Crowley? I did a podcast about him a few months back. Alistair Crowley was probably the most influential occultist of the 20th century. And his influence continues today. Uh, there's, he still has followers. His religion still has members. His books are still studied by people interested in the occult. He's, he's, he was a powerful figure in that world. Crowley was born in 1875 in England. He was born into money. His family had owned breweries for generations, and they were very, very well off. His family were also uh, very religious. His father was a minister or preacher for the Plymouth Brethren, which is a fairly strict evangelical sect of Protestantism. Alistair used to go with his father on mission trips and things like that around England and used to listen to his father preach. Well... The gospel didn't really take with Alistair. He was, a, by all accounts, a very, very bright child. But he was also, in my opinion, a very troubled child. I mean, when a kid makes a hobby of torturing small animals, that's a problem. I mean, that's a red flag. You get that kid to a psychiatrist pronto, or you're going to have an axe murderer on your hands. But he never saw a psychiatrist. He just tortured the animals and, you know, hung around his parents' mansion. He went to Cambridge, but he dropped out and spent years doing the things that he loved to do. He was actually a very accomplished mountain climber. He, there are lots of you know, essays about how good he was at it, the famous mountains that he climbed with friends. He loved mountain climbing. He wrote poetry. He published a couple of books of poems. And I believe one of his poems is included in uh, one of the Cambridge collections of modern poetry. The other thing he liked to do was sleep with a lot of women and take a lot of drugs. His interest in the occult was intense. He joined something called the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. The Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn was almost like an occult think tank. It had a lot of very uh, famous and accomplished men as its members. William Butler Yeats, the Irish poet, was a member. So was Arthur Conan Doyle, you know, the creator of Sherlock Holmes. And I'm pretty sure Alistair thought, well, I'm brilliant too. He was, you know, he was at home with those people. He became a Freemason for a while. He worked his way through a number of, of occult organizations. But he eventually formed his own religion, which he called Thelema. I'm told that the word Thelema comes from the Greek word for will. The motto of Thelema was, do what thou wilt, do whatever you want, which is what Alistair had done all his life anyway. He was very, very dedicated to his new religion. He bought an old hunting lodge in Scotland on the shore of Loch Ness, and he bought it for the purpose of performing a particular ritual. This ritual was intended to raise your guardian angel they don't mean guardian angel the way a Christian would. 
To raise this guardian angel, first you had to raise the 12 kings and dukes of hell and bind them to your will. This ritual went on for weeks, maybe months, all very eerie, all done in darkness. It required weeks of fasting, but libertine though he was, Alistair really wanted to raise these dukes of hell, so he dedicated himself to performing this ritual. The powers that be at the Order of the Golden Dawn got wind of this, and they did not like what they were hearing. So they summoned Crowley to Paris, and Crowley left in a hurry without finishing the ritual. Now, in the aftermath of this, sad and tragic things happened at the hunting lodge. For example, one example is the uh, caretaker's two children died very suddenly from causes that were never determined. It's said that his daughter died, little girl died sitting upright at her desk in school, and no one could explain how. A lot of sadness resulted from all this. Crowley never came back to Boleskine House. That's what he called his hunting lodge, Boleskine House. And the house itself had a very strange uh, future. You know, burned down, it was occupied by a rock star, uh, eerie, eerie things. Anyone who ever went there said it was really very strange. Strange things would happen there. Doors would open, things like that. It eventually burned down, and there's now an effort to rebuild it. Uh, some group in England is collecting money to uh, restore Boleskin House. Well, as you might imagine, doing what he willed and nothing and really not much else, all the mountain climbing, all the drugs, all the rituals. He always had full regalia made for his rituals. Uh, all the women. Uh, money started to get a little tight. In fact, Alistair had blown through his inheritance by 1939. And it was a pretty serious inheritance, but by 1939, he, had no, he didn't have any money left. So now, while he had believers in Thelema and followers in Thelema, he needed supporters of Thelema. One of these supporters was a young American named Jack Parsons. Jack Parsons had quite a bit in common with Alistair Crowley. Like Crowley, he had grown up surrounded by wealth. He was raised by his wealthy grandparents. Like Crowley, he was mostly self-taught. And like Crowley, he had been interested in the occult from an early age. Parsons claimed that at the age of 13, he had summoned Satan. He said that the experience left him terribly shaken, but that is what intensified his interest in the occult, and he never lost his interest in the occult. When he discovered Crowley's works, he fell in love. He became one of Crowley's chief financial supporters and an absolutely 100% devoted acolyte, his number one fan. Now, Parsons had money. Uh, he, he had money from his inheritance, and he'd also invented a couple of things that had paid off. And he was handsome, and he was smart. All of these things endeared him to Crowley. Crowley was, uh, it was a two-way street. Crowley was really kind of smitten with Parsons, too. Like every man I've ever met, Jack Parsons liked to blow things up. He worked in a lab where a lot of that kind of thing happened. And he was finally fired from the lab for an explosion that he and a couple of friends had created. It was actually a legitimate experiment, but the lab said, you know, we can't risk people blowing things up. So he got fired. 
But with some of his money, he and his wife, Betty, bought a mansion in Pasadena. He invited a whole list of artists, scientists, and fellow fans of science fiction to rent out rooms in the house. And soon it was filled with quite a motley crew of neighbors. The neighbors were interested in all kinds of things, but they had, you know, they had a few things in common. They were all into sex magic. They were all into orgies. Uh, you know, they had a few orgies in the backyard, uh, naked people doing drugs and dancing around naked around a bonfire. This was a big deal for Parsons. He liked it just fine. It wasn't such a pleasure for the neighbors, though, and they called the police several times. Parsons and his wife, Betty, had an open marriage. They could both sleep with whomever they chose to sleep. That was the case for almost everybody in the house. And it was also another thing that Crowley would have approved of. Parsons met a fellow science fiction fan whom he became very close friend with very quickly. The guy's name was Ron. He was a Navy veteran. He was a writer. And he, like Jack, was very in love with science fiction. So uh, Ron moved into the house with his wife in 1946. Parsons and Ron became very close friends. And Ron became just as devoted to Alistair Crowley as Parsons was. And Parsons became obsessed with raising one of the Thelema goddesses, a deity named Babylon. He and Ron embarked on a series of rituals to raise this goddess. You know, sex magic rituals, of course, people having sex and people chanting in the background. In fact, uh, Ron chanted in the background while Jack had the sex. Now, why did he want to raise Babylon? Because Babylon was going to be the woman to give birth to the Antichrist. When a red-haired artist named Marjorie Carsons moved into the house, both Parsons and Ron were convinced that they were on the right track. They, they were getting closer and closer to raising the Antichrist. They were getting closer and closer to raising the deity Babylon. So Marjorie joined in their rituals. She became the woman that, uh, you know, Jack would have sex with while Ron chanted whatever they had to chant in the background. Carsons was not an occultist. She didn't know who Aleister Crowley was, and she wasn't interested in the dark arts. But she liked free love just as much as the next girl in the house. So they became very intensely involved. Then Carsons became pregnant. And Parsons is thinking, yes, she's going to have the Antichrist. But Carson decided she didn't want to have the Antichrist. And in fact, she didn't want to have any babies at all. So she went and got an abortion. Now, after that, the affair between Parsons and Marjorie Carson petered out. The whole time, however, Ron had been having an affair with Jack's neglected wife, Betty. And eventually, partly because of this, Parsons and Ron had a falling out. Ron ran off with uh, Betty. He also ran off with most of Parsons' money. They fought about money a lot, and Ron figured out how to get his hands on what was left of the cash. So he took the girl, and he took the cash. In 1946, Jack Parsons lost his best friend and his wife and all his money to his best friend and his wife. And life kind of went downhill from there. Jack Parsons worked in a lab 
that you needed uh, government clearance to work in. And the FBI started investigating him for espionage. So that was the end of his government clearance. So now he was broke. He was out of work. He was single. He was drugged up to the gills. He wasn't doing well at all. And by 1952, he was near the end. He wasn't doing well at all. In 1952, Parsons died in an explosion. The official explanation for the explosion, the official cause of the explosion was an accident. But there were all sorts of rumors about what else could have caused it. Jack Parsons had testified against a high-ranking police official at one point. Uh, Actually, he was called in as an expert witness in the trial. And rumor went around that the uh, police official had orchestrated Parsons' death for revenge. So that's the story of Jack Parsons, except for what he actually did for a living. I said that he was an inventor, a very bright man. Someone actually described him once po- at one point as a cookbook chemist, and that he was involved in a government laboratory where you needed government clearance to work. Jack Parsons was one of the people who invented rocket fuel in Pasadena. Jack was also one of the founders of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena. Have you heard of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory? The JPL for short? It's part of NASA today. They're the people who created the Mars rover and other robots that the United States successfully sent into space. The Jet Propulsion Laboratories initials are JPL. People who work there joke that it actually stands for Jack Parsons Lives. As for his friend Ron, the man who ran off with his wife and his money, he founded a religion too. He called his religion Scientology. That's it. That's right. Jack Parsons' best pal was L. Ron Hubbard the founder of Scientology, the creator of the Sea Org, and the author of science fiction. If you want to learn more about these two, uh, there's a series you you might be able to catch on Paramount Plus called Strange Angel. It's about Jack Parsons and all this, his work with rocketry and his work with the occult. I haven't been able to see it yet, but you might be interested in it. My sources for this episode of Legion include Atlas Obscura, TheGuardian.com, The Hollywood Reporter, Everloving Wikipedia, and Sex and Rockets, The Occult World of Jack Parsons. Thanks for listening to this episode of Legion, the podcast about the devil and all his works. I hope you'll join me again next time. I'm Susan Vigilante, and remember, the devil's first trick is to convince you he doesn't exist.